Hey, this is Barbara Corcoran, and you're tuned in to Business Unusual. Throw away your Harvard degree and listen to me. You're going to learn a lot more. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. But first, I got three questions this week from people that were not very good students and worried about it. I just thought I would address it, even though I know I've talked about it before. You know, when I was in school, the happiest sound in the world was that three o'clock bell. When I heard that bell ring, I thought, thank God I'm out of this jailhouse. Off I would run as fast as I could to try to make a good day of what was already a horrible day for me. Being embarrassed in class, being asked to read out loud and labeled yet again, the dumb kid in school. But thank God, I was kind of clever on my feet in one way. When I got out of school, I did not want to do homework that the other kids were doing, so I made best friends with Margaret Garrity. She was the kid down the block with the really thick glasses who was an exceptional student, and all I would have to do for Margaret is make a new chalk game on her sidewalk, and she would do all of my math, all of my English, and all of my geography, and she did it in like a half hour flat. My God, it would have taken me six hours to do the same work, and I wouldn't have gotten any kind of accolades for it until Margaret Garrity became my homework helper. I actually believed in school that I had a low IQ, thinking that an IQ had something to do with the A's and B's and C's. And for me, the D's that I got, straight D's all the time. And I thought that meant that I was on the lower echelon of really being stupid. But guess what? I wasn't. You know what I learned? I learned that once I got out of that jailhouse called school, I developed great skills in business independent of anything that I had learned in school. I found that I was gifted at certain areas because I had finessed my way through school and learned how to get good at other things that the smart kids weren't very good at. I knew how to hire the right people. And guess what gave me that gift? It was because once you're a loser as a kid, you have great empathy and you spot other losers and you don't ever look down on anybody when you're the dumb kid. The dumb kid doesn't get that privilege to look down on people. So as a result of that, I had empathy in spades. And that gave me the ability to read people and hire the right people for the right job. I always, always was able to find someone to do the chore I wasn't able to do well, like read a financial statement or figure out a mathematical equation. Forget it, I was never going to learn it. But in business, I learned that I could hire a lot of really, really, really smart people to do it for me. The day I met Esther Kaplan, I recognized her as my future business partner because she had all the skill sets of a smart kid and she could do them all for me. And I could continue just being the chatty Kathy, the charming kid, the one who talked everybody into doing things. Esther Kaplan became my high IQ. You know, salespeople are key to the real estate business. And I found that in sales, I was pretty good, but I wasn't amazing. And yet I knew how to identify salespeople who are a lot better than me. And it was on the back of a thousand great salespeople that I built the company, the Corcoran Group. Today, when I sit on Shark Tank, I very often have to do mathematical equations in my head like the other sharks. Trust me, I can't do it. I will actually work them out on my yellow legal pad that I sit there with. Trust me, I can't do it. But it was only two years into Shark Tank that I realized that Mark Cuban was really good at math. And all I ever do is ask him to do my math for me. And he does it, hands the answer back to me, and he doesn't know it. But he's my new Margaret Garrity. 
So you can always find people to do the stuff you can't do. And by doing that my whole life, I have been able to build a big, successful business and also help dozens and dozens of entrepreneurs build their business because I know how to identify talent and build on it. Math has very little to do with almost everything in life, as long as you could count change. And I can tell you, people think it has a lot to do with Shark Tank. It has very little to do with Shark Tank. It's all about judging the right people. So what's most important on compensating for the skills you don't have? Well, here's my secret formula. I only focus on the skills I have. There aren't many. I know how to size up people. I know how to motivate people. I know how to build an organizational structure. Those are my gifts. So I choose to build around my assets. I ignore everything else. I just build on what I do well, and then I find somebody else to do all the stuff I don't do well. So that's my formula. If you're not good at school, don't worry about it. It's probably a very good sign that you're going to find all the right people to help you build your empire. And that's how Street D's built my business. You're listening to Business Unusual with Barbara Corcoran. And now it's time to answer your questions on Business Unusual. Hi, Barbara. My name is Joanne, and I'm calling from Lewisburg, North Carolina. I have a question. I'm in the process of writing a business plan for an online service. What would be some of the challenges that I would face in starting an online business, especially in the food industry? Hope to hear from you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Joanne, you asked me about putting a business plan together and what should go into it. I'm asked that all the time. So let me give you maybe a little bit more information than you're looking for, because I think it could be helpful to other people. Number one, there's two kinds of business plans. The kind you're writing for the purpose of getting money to invest in your business. You're going to pitch it to somebody else and you want him or her to open their wallet and give you some cash. That's one kind of business plan. The other kind is you're writing a business plan for yourself so that you know A leads to B leads to C and you want to make your business grow and you're actually putting on paper how you envision yourself making the business get born and how you're going to make it grow. That's a different kind of business plan. I don't know what you have in mind, Joanne, but if you're writing a business plan to raise money for your new business concept, I can tell you the most important question you must answer directly up front on the business plan is how is the investor going to make money? Do you know on Shark Tank, we hear pitches constantly and do you know only one in three investors there actually answer that question well because they're thinking about how am I going to make sales? It's important. How am I going to make the product? It's important. But when it comes to raising money, you got to think of the other guy and walk in his shoes and what the investor's thinking about is if I put my money in this guy or gal, how the heck am I going to get my money out? How am I going to make money? And so you need to address that up front. The most important question. Of course, you'll know things about by the time you're starting your business, I would hope. What's it going to cost to make the product or offer the service? What you're going to sell it for? Who your customer base is? How quickly you can grow with your projections? I can tell you all that stuff is useful, but not as useful to the guy you're pitching as, how am I going to make money? That's first. 
The second kind of business plan is the kind of plan you're writing for yourself, a roadmap, if you will, on how you're going to start your business and develop it and get it to the finish line. I think that works for a few people, but for me, I'm just not a believer in it. I see that most entrepreneurs are very visually driven. And if you can draw a picture clearly in your mind or on paper or with cutouts of what you want your business to look like when you're big and successful and what you're going to look like, what you're going to say, if you can visualize that, I find it takes you a lot farther than a A leads to B leads to C type deductive reasoning business plan. The problem with a really logical business plan on paper that you plan to execute is the minute you get it into the street, it doesn't work anymore. Because business building is nothing more than having a concept, going out and testing it. And the minute you get in the street and test it, try to sell the product, try to price it, try to produce it, everything changes. So why spend all that time on specific things within your business plan? I say it's a waste of time, almost always. But spend a little time dreaming. Dreams make you become what you want to become. Dreams are easy to follow because you start to do everything that matches that dream or the image in your head. I can tell you the first day I opened my real estate company, I was the queen of New York real estate. I had it in my head, the queen of New York real estate. I didn't know what an ad would cost, where I would get my customer from, but I could clearly see me as the queen of New York real estate, going to be somebody. And that became the best business plan I could have ever envisioned because everything I did from that point till I sold my business for $66 million was part of that picture. Joanne, let me tell you another story of a situation where I said to myself, God, what a great gal with a clear idea of who she wants to be. I'm partners with Kim Daisy, who owns I Love Daisy Cakes. And you might have seen her on Shark Tank, where she presented the absolutely most delicious cakes you could ever hope for to all of the sharks. And the other guys were so busy chewing their cakes that I had the chance to get in there, make a deal before they could even swallow their cake and say, I'm in. I met her on Shark Tank. She had tremendous sales when she aired on Shark Tank night. No one expected that. Her website crashed. She couldn't take orders. She had one phone line that was ringing off the hook. And what do you think Daisy did? She pictured herself selling, she told me herself, thousands and thousands of cakes. I just couldn't get over it. I pictured myself, Barbara, selling thousands of cakes. And in that belief, she thought of one smart move. She hotwired her one phone line to my office in New York City and left me one pure message. Barbara, when you get this message, be aware that all the orders are coming to your phone lines because I only have one. Please hire some people that sound like me to take the orders. And what do you think Daisy Cakes did? She sold 35,000 cakes because she was smart enough to not give up on her image. And later on, she said, you know what? I just saw myself as Daisy Cakes selling like hotcakes and I couldn't shake that image. And that's what gave me the idea. Dreams are big time, much more powerful than business plans. Hi. My name is Coffee, and I'm calling from Falls Church, Virginia. My question is, how much time should I be in business before I determine if it's successful? Or should I simply look at sales and make a determination, no matter how much time I've been in the business? I would think it would be at least a year before you determine if you're on track. But I look at companies like Uber and Lyft, 
who have shown no profitability, and they're doing an IPO, and they're worth billions of dollars. So I just wonder um, if looking at profit would be what should be determined or length of time in business or maybe a combination of both. Thank you. Okay, coffee. I hear where you're going with this, and it's a very intelligent question. The kind of question where you want to make an assessment or be given a guidepost as to how to know when you're successful or not successful. But I can tell you business is not that way. It's not an analytical exercise where you measure against some other norm. And the idea of even comparing yourself to Uber and Lyft is totally the wrong way to go because they don't even have to be profitable because they have millionaires and billionaires behind them. It's a different game. And that's the stratosphere that so few businesses can compete with. Get that out of your mind. Let's get down to brass tacks about your own business. You're wondering if you've been in business long enough to tell if it's successful or not. There is no timeline. There are only two questions you can ask that will tell you whether your business is being successful enough to continue. The first is, is it making money? Is your business making money? If it's making money, of course it's becoming a success. The next is, is it growing? And they don't often come together. If you're making money, very often you're not growing. If you're growing, you're not making money. If you've been in business a while and you're still not making a profit, but your business is growing, that's good because it means you're putting your profits into the business rather than into your pockets. But if you're not seeing any profit or growth, well, frankly, you're not in business. What are you hanging around for? Or at least you won't be in business for long and you need to regroup or simply close your doors. When I was building the Corcoran Group, I remember having a visceral reaction, a feeling in my gut that, my God, I could feel it. I could feel it. We're grabbing on. We're grabbing on. I could feel us starting to become successful. If I had to quantify that by profit, I couldn't have done it. But if I had to look at it as far as how fast was I growing against my competition, I could clearly see that I was outpacing them. And so I knew I was going to be successful. I knew it. I could feel it in my bones. But it took me a really long time to be successful. I had 150 people working for me before I even made a dime for myself. That's nuts. I was working my business almost seven years before I was making money. By anyone else's standard, if they were quantifying it, they'd say, you're a loser. Close your doors. But I had 150 people and I had surpassed people at 30, 40, 50 people. And I knew I was going to win the game. I would say that you just have to keep to those two questions. It would be a dream business if you could make money and grow like gangbusters, but they usually don't happen at the very same time. One more thing you could use as your guide, and it's not left brain, and it's not about math and adding up or anything like that, and that is simply, are you excited about your business? If you're still excited about your business and you're waking up and thinking about what you're going to do the night before you have a hard time going to sleep because you're thinking about where you want to go, that's a really good sign because every great entrepreneur I've ever rubbed shoulders with is excited every single day. And if you're not excited about your business, let me tell you something. You're not an entrepreneur. You're not going to succeed. So use that as another way to gauge your success. And that's all the questions we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. 
That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Business Unusual is part of the iHeartRadio podcast network. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.